You're listening to episode 222 of the Comic Spells. We're a group of comic journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Aha, uh-huh. gee whiz, fellas. Uh, looks like I've been transported back to the 1950s, see? And uh, ain't that a bite. Uh, things are a lot different here in the 50s. Uh, gotta go down to the drugstore later and try to court Mary Kate. And if I have any money left from buying a bouquet of flowers, I'm going to buy an issue with a flash for 10 cents a dime. 10 cents a dime. That's right. That's how we talk in the 50s. <laughs> you Come have on, to shake, explain. rattle well, and roll. Okay. All right. I guess if you're hopping and bopping, you have time to explain the amount of currency twice, I guess. That's right. You, <laughs> it sounds like you know a thing or two about the 50s. You want to spare a nickel? You want to spare a nickel? I'll put it in the Nickelodeon and we can, you know, listen to Elvis Presley. The Nickelodeon? That's what we call a jukebox, see? Really? That's right. <laughs> I've learned a lot about his <laughs> slang and, and, and lingo. I never knew that. Ah, oh, that's a big tickle, see? Well, <laughs> I 50s Phil. Ah, I'm 50s Phil. <laughs> Appreciate that, man. I don't know how I'm connected to the internet right now. Uh, frankly, we don't even know what it is. We don't even, back here, we don't even have dial-up. <laughs> how do you know what that is? <laughs> I'm a man out of time. You know what's also interesting is you're wearing a Dragon Ball hoodie, and I don't think that that was invented yet. That's right. Everyone thinks I'm uh, one of those evil <laughs> That's not racist in the 50s for some reason. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm going to leave now because... Uh... <laughs> You're yeah. a racist. That made me really uncomfortable. In this town that I'm living in, there's not a single black person. See, because, uh, well, racism. All right. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> nice. Can we get Technicolor Phil back? <laughs> oh, no. Things are already starting to change. See, what's going on? Hold on. Uh, things are changing very slowly. This bit yeah. will pay off, I'm sure. Sure. I doubt it. I'm sure it will. Uh, oh, no. Now I'm the telly. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. That was actually kind of cool. Okay. <laughs> um, this is WandaVision. Yeah. So uh, this happens to be a podcast. Visual uh, <laughs> jokes don't always land. Yeah. Uh, Phil, on YouTube, you can see him. And he's in a television screen. That's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, it's never funny when you have to explain the joke. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, as Phil adjusts to the world in color, uh, we will move on and we will talk to you guys about how excited we are to be here for the 222nd episode of the Comics Pals. It's not a milestone. But it is a milestone. You have to find ways to keep yourself motivated to do <laughs> something like this for this long, right? So um, I'm excited to be here. We're excited to be here. We got Phil back, the return of Phil, uh, in all his weird racist glory. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> oh, no. All I'm saying hey. is this is proving that Phil's a white supremacist. We uh, nope. do this. Nope. It's one of the earliest nope. Nope. Uh, nope. bits in the mm-hmm. Comics Pals canon. I'm not going to let that sentence fly, see? You oh, wait, chose to open time. a can <laughs> of worms that you can now not close. It's well, just... I'm back in the present now, so uh, things no. are much different. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to be talking about the return 
of Heroes Reborn. Believe it or not, we're going to be talking about DC Universe app and how a prediction that we made from last year has come true. Might have actually been from two years ago. I'm not even sure. Uh, the return of Marvel's What If, and we're going to be ask, answering, asking and answering, actually, a critical question. Is the mutants as minorities metaphor problematic? That's the hot button topic on, on comics Twitter this week. We're going to tackle that. We're getting into a lot of things this week on the Comics Pals. Thank you so much for joining us. If you guys want more of us, you can look for us on the internet at the Comics Pals. Make sure that you guys are leaving us a like and a review wherever it is that you listen to us. It helps us out a ton. WandaVision, we are reviewing every single episode. Our first two, our first three episode reviews are out now. The first two episodes we batch together in one review. And the third one is out now in a separate review. So go check that out. We're having a blast watching WandaVision. Um, hit us up on social media at the Comics Pals. You can get us if you want to write in at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. Uh, and of course, last but not least, if you're on YouTube, hit the like button, drop us a comment, share the video with your friends. All those things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. And of course, book clubs. We've got the Civil War book club dropping in just a week from now. No, wait, whoa. It's actually dropping tomorrow. Tomorrow. It's dropping tomorrow. Yeah, it's dropping tomorrow. Uh, so check that out. Civil War, you've probably read it. If you haven't, now is a perfect time to do so. If you just want to read the seven-issue run and listen to our review, you'll be fine. Otherwise, read all the books that we read. We've got a link to all of them on our Instagram, so if you go check that out, you'll be able to see the exact list of the books that we read, and you can join in on the conversation on our Discord server, which you will find a link to in the description below. You can come hang out with us. We're always having awesome conversations, and you can send us your questions right over there and be a part of the pals. So I want to kick off the show with our pals pulls because I want to barrel through this thing. We've got so much to talk about. <laughs> I want to rush through. So, uh, Phil and Pete both chose Future State, Batman, Superman, number one. Well, you if you've been listening to the show, you know all of us are such huge fans and supporters and endorsers of the Future State line of DC Comics. So naturally, we have to read Batman, Superman, number one. Um, I know Pete and I are big fans of Gene, uh, who is the author of this book, Gene Lin Yang. And... Uh, He's always really good with Superman, whether it was yep. his uh, new Superman book or uh, Superman Smashes the Clan. Uh, I'm curious what he does here. And um, yeah, the only future state book I've read is uh, Superman of Metropolis, which was uh, kind of interesting. Uh, I'm, I was interested in kind of the landscape that they created for that. So I'm curious how uh, Gene tackles that here. So I'm into it. We'll see. Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> like, having read and really, really enjoyed uh, Superman Smashes the Clan last year, like, that was also a very short story, um, but it was satisfying. 
And I think one of the kind of complaints that um, we've had about uh, what's been going on with the future date stuff is that it's just it doesn't necessarily feel super narratively satisfying. So like, hopefully Gene can can deliver something in that short form that feels as um, I don't know as as significant. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so I chose Strange Adventures number eight. Um, Strange Adventures has turned the corner for me. I've been enjoying it. The last couple of issues I thought were pretty strong. And as we get closer to the end with issue 12, Tom is going to have to deliver more and more reveals as to what the true nature of Adam Strange's lies are and where all of this is really going. So it looks like we're getting we're going to get closer to that with this issue. Mr. Terrific is coming back. I'm really excited and it feels good to be able to say that because you know, we've we've been down on Tom, Tom King uh, here for the last couple of years, so feels good to be excited about what he's doing. I've been enjoying Rorschach as well. So, he's in a good spot for me. Batman, Catwoman, eh, I don't know about that one so much, but <laughs> Yeah, can't all be winners. Sure. Um, and then of course the art by Mitch Jarrods and, and um Doc Shaner is off the charts good. So if you if you're not a fan of Tom's necessarily, I think picking up the trade, if the eventual trade is probably worth it for what they contributed, um just as much as what Tom has contributed. So definitely worth your dime, I think. And then Pete and I both chose X-Men 17. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the main show, um, the solicit for it got me interested. Uh, I, you know, I think the thing we've been kind of talking about with the X-Books, right, coming out of Ten of Swords is that we really just want to see, like, some movement. And we really want to see some some action again um, because the story feels like it's stagnating a little bit. And I think it was last when we reviewed Marauders where, Sean, you had kind of made the comment where it feels like, all these books are kind of like in this cycle of like moving forward a little bit and then waiting for everyone else to catch up and then moving forward. And, and like, it's starting to give me whiplash a little bit. Um, but this issue does seem like it's actually going to advance things a little bit, uh, specifically with storm, who is a character that again, we've commented a lot. feels like he's been kind of waiting in the wings for what's next for her. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm hoping that this is the issue that, that gives us what we've been chomping at the bit for, you know? Yeah, um, I definitely agree. I'm I'm hopeful for that. Um, I don't know what to expect. Uh, Hickman kind of goes all over the place with these with these issues. Quite frankly, I feel like I'm in a holding pattern, waiting for coronavirus 18. to end. Well, that too, but uh, 18 or 19, where they're going to go back to the vault and reveal what happened with X23. <laughs> Forgot about that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that's on the horizon, but I do believe this issue will advance the cosmic element of what's going on with the X-Men, which if you're not reading sword, you probably should be because a lot of interesting things are happening for X-Men cosmic over there. And it's been pretty good. Uh, so worth your while before we get into the news, I want to ask you, Phil, Oh shit, uh, that's me. because I know you were able to catch up on at least one future state book. Hmm. And last week we 
Pete, Marco, and I shared some of our thoughts about Future State, but I wanted you to sound off a little bit uh, and just kind of tell us what you think about what you've read so far. Yeah, so as I mentioned in the Palace Poll segment, I have only read Superman and Metropolis, number one. And um, like I said, the world building stuff was kind of interesting. Like there were some really beautiful spreads. Um, certainly when you do a book that is intended to take place in the future, you have some real interesting opportunities to do some interesting stuff with your landscapes and settings. Mm. Uh, you know, famously, Batman Beyond, the TV show, a lot of people remember the interesting kind of not too far kind of cyberpunk future that that show had, right? Uh, so that's definitely a credit to it. But narratively, it just uh, I felt um, it felt very jargony, like uh, it was spending too much time trying to escape. Uh, escape. I wanted to escape. Spending too much time trying to establish uh, how and why we're here and like mm-hmm. who these characters are and stuff. And um, it's just, uh, it's like either, you know, the writing or, or editorial ship doesn't trust readers to be able to like kind of catch up as they go. Like they need to info dump everything right away. Otherwise people <clears throat> won't be interested. The thing I think is, <clears throat> is so problematic about it and like Sean called this out when we had our discussion is that like there's not time for them to like trust the reader because if they if you only get yeah. one or two issues like you do kind of need to do some info dumping otherwise we won't know that context because the story's just going to be over. I just you know what to me like if you're writing a completely new book where the audience doesn't have any knowledge of the characters you don't do things like that. You just write your two issues of what it is yeah. and you tell your story. You don't need to just try to like Okay, so yeah, this is Jonathan Kent. Don't fill in the gaps, like you know, you know. Famously, uh, in in Grant Morrison's Batman, he had that one issue of Damian Wayne Day. as Batman in the future. What was that? They. Yes, sorry. Uh, and uh, that issue didn't really fill in a ton of gaps. You know, it it, it just um, it just let it be. Like this issue is Batman in the future. And this is that story. You know, why not just do that here? You know, this is Jonathan Kent of Superman. Tell that story for two issues without going way out of your way to explain, well, this is how we got here. Yeah, and like, oh, like things are kind of rocky between him and Kara. It's like, well, I think we'll know that when she shows up and tries to punch him, right? Like, Yes. You know? Like, yes. I, I can follow a story. We get it, guys. I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to go out on a limb and try to defend the creators in a way that I haven't really seen mentioned yet. But I, I don't know that it's not true. And that is, I'm convinced that all of these issues were produced at a time where Dan Didio still was at DC and everyone still believed that Future State was going to be, 5G was going to be the status quo. Yeah. Remember that Future State is 5G. They're the same thing. It is the fifth generation. Right, And so I believe that these two issues is all that they had the time to produce before Didio got axed and they canceled the project. But mm-hmm. since DC paid for it already, they wanted to put out the two issues that they made just to try to recoup the money that they spent paying these creators to do these books. And so I think in a world where these issues are go- or these series are going to continue, these um, two issues that we're getting per series are a lot more palatable. That doesn't necessarily mean that the Yada Flores Wonder Woman issue is good in that context. Mm-hmm. It just means that you know that whatever storytelling was intended 
we'll they'll see through and we'll actually learn what we're supposed to learn about the character. Whereas, of course, in this scenario, we won't be because there's only two issues. Well, and you can also assume, right, that, like, Joel Jones probably would have written that issue different, knowing differently knowing that, the, that it was part one of two, not part one of, like, you know, presumably Many. 12, right? Or, or, or longer, right? Yeah, but you know what? Even if this... You know what? I, I can't really... Def- I can't really... I don't think that works as a defense still because I think I'm not a writer personally, but I'm uh, better writers. And I'm not saying that he's a bad writer. I want to make sure that's clear. Just better writers in general. Don't like try to info dump everything into a first issue like that. You know, like even if you think you have space to do more stuff, like write a satisfying single issue as a satisfying single issue, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, I definitely think there's something to, you know, you you, you mentioned uh, Grant Morrison, and Grant is, I mean, he's a superior or their superior writer, right? Sure. And yeah. So famously, so when whenever Grant is 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 writing, we can expect a certain level of quality. Yeah. And I talked about how a lot of the creators that are working on the yeah. Future State and Infinite Frontier books seem to be the creators that are, uh, you know, a, a couple of tiers below in terms of recognition and in some cases in terms of um, skill or maybe not, maybe not even skill, but just experience like they're experience. greener. Right. And so that's a lot to ask. And I think we're seeing in some of these books that it is difficult and, you know, we're not it's, it's not the creators we're used to seeing from D.C. telling these kinds of stories. Yeah, but um, we we we're definitely going to continue to talk about Future State because it is the biggest happening over at uh, DC, mm. and we absolutely will be presenting you guys with a roundup uh, once it's all wrapped in terms of um, everything we read from Future State, the highs and the lows, the good, the bad, and the ugly of DC's future. So stay tuned for that a little bit uh, down the road once that all resolves. Can't wait for them to sell a $90 omnibus of all like, you know, 40 issues, 30 issues of those one, two collected or whatever, you know, 100% that is on the horizon and I'm willing to bet it has a higher price tag. You're probably right. It's going to be like 150 or something. (laughs) So jumping into the news, uh, I think this is an item that was tailor made for Pete. Let's fucking go, uh, baby. Let's go. So we're talking about Invincible. Of course, Invincible is one of Image Comics' most successful books. And it's finally being turned into a television show. We've known about this for a while, but we finally have a date. And we got our first look at a scene from the show i'm actually going to turn it over to pete because pete actually got to check out the um announcement of this robert kirkman had a few words to share and there was a little bit of a media event surrounding this so pete why don't you talk about what you learned from that and then we'll dive into the first look 
uh, clip. We'll do a watch along for that. Sure. Yeah. So, um, like Sean said, there was like about, it was like roughly like 40 minutes uh, yesterday. Robert sat down and there was like a little bit of an interview. It was the uh, 18th anniversary of the release of uh, Invincible Number no. 1, which I actually have right here. And um, yeah, they, uh, they kind of talked a little bit about the history and the inception of the book. And then in terms of the new information that we got, um, the biggest news, of course, is that we got the release date for the show. Uh, March 26th is going to be when the first episodes drop. There are going to be three episodes available on day one. Um, and those are actually, again, every episode is an hour-long episode, so that's three hours day one, which is crazy. Wow. Uh, but then every other uh, episode will be released week to week. Um, so it's five more weeks after that, that first uh, release. And um, Robert offered like a, a lot of new information about the show that I think um, – it will be meaningful to longtime fans and people who are familiar with some of his other adaptations, right? So um, he talked a little bit about how the show was going to differ, and there were some comparisons. And, and I, I, excuse me, I forget the name of the interviewer right now, um, but he did a great job. Uh, mm. And they, there was kind of some allusions made to like how The Walking Dead was produced, right? Where like obviously um, fans of the comic who also watched the show uh, were able to you know, experience a lot of the beats that, you know, Sean always talks about, right? Like, you want to see the the moments you remember brought to life, right? And, um, but doing that in a way that kind of also refreshes them, and, like, sometimes the story will zig and zag in different ways, and that there will be new characters, there will be old characters with, like, expanded roles, or or slightly different roles, and, like, Robert kind of confirmed that a lot of those things were going to take place in Invincible as well. Uh, like, one of the examples was, um, uh, Art, who is the um, the character who creates Mark's costume, um, is voiced by Mark Hamill, and apparently he's like a character who is like a you know a fairly minor character. Like he makes a decent number of appearances, but he's certainly not a major player. Um, and Robert said that like he has like a way uh, more expanded role um, in in this version of the story. And like one of the things that was interesting um, in like the clip that we're gonna watch is it is a scene that's like kind of an iconic scene from the first few issues of the show, or I'm sorry, the first few issues of the book. Uh, but in the show, it's kind of been recontextualized to um, be a slightly different conversation and to kind of foreshadow things that are going to come. And like Robert pointed out how like when he was writing issue number, you know, one through however, you know, the first two arcs of Invincible, he didn't know where the story was going to go. Now he does, right? So he can kind of... Uh, reinvent and reimagine certain like key moments um, in ways that kind of give them new nuance and that will speak to readers who are familiar with where the story originally went and where it could go now, but also how it could differ. So let me ask you, as someone who has read every single issue, of course, knowing that the show is going to go in different directions does it bother you that some things that you like from the book won't maybe won't be the same or won't happen at all or characters will be slightly different? Does any of that bother you? So for me, it, it doesn't. Um, that was always one of the things I liked about The Walking Dead um, TV show, right? Was that uh, I that was my original exposure to The Walking Dead was when it first came to Netflix. I watched the, the first like six episode season or whatever it was, um, where it was basically a mini season, mini series. They had no idea it would be a thing. Um, and then that 
was what kind of encouraged me to go check out the book. Um, and getting there and finding that it was different um, in, in a lot of significant ways, but that it still had the same spirit and the same tone and the things that I liked about it were still coming through. Um, it made it a more enriching experience for me because I read the, like I read the comic then and caught up and was reading that month to month. Um, but I was also watching the show and like not knowing a hundred percent where things were going to go, like having an idea, but still having it be able to surprise me, um, and add, you know, different layers or, or different, you know, um, nuances to elements of the story was something that I thought was cool, you know, and it was more rewarding as a fan because like you said, like I've read every issue of Invincible, right? And like right. I'm I'm rereading it now, um, and I'm enjoying rereading it. Um and it's it's great to um re experience those moments, but like I know where the story's gonna go, right? Like I I know uh, exactly where I am in the arc, right? Like, I, I can tell you where that arc goes from here and then what comes after that. And, it, you know, like, that story has already been told and, and it's wonderful and it's my favorite superhero comic, right? Uh, my favorite comic. Um, I don't necessarily need it to be told the exact same way again, you know? Um, would I have been happy with that? Sure. But I also think it's really cool that as a fan of Invincible and that like Invincible's over and like I don't ever want it to come back because it ended and it ended perfectly. This is a way for me to kind of experience it all over again, but have it be new. And like Robert is so excited about it, you know, and you can tell that um, the way he talks about it and the way that like he was excited to go back to the world and reimagine it and kind of rethink some things and, and you know, um, present some things in a new light, you know? So I'm excited to see his vision for that too. Very um, cool. Are you, I, I, I don't know if you've talked about this before, but are you looking forward to it more as an animated series and like a live action, live action adaptation? I think I am. Um, I, I am very into the idea of a good live action invincible movie, but I think, um, I think there's a real problem with it where, it as a film, you need to commit to a certain number of films, right? For you to really tell the story of Invincible. Because this the comic, you know, it's it's 144 issues and it spans, you know, Mark's entire career as a superhero, you know, and like the first arc is him in high school, he's like 16 and you know, by the end of it, like he's a, a middle-aged man, you know. Um and uh, that I, – I think that that is part of really what makes Invincible special is that you go on that journey with a superhero and you actually watch them age and, like, you know, go through the beats that real people go through, right? And not be stuck in this perpetual loop of, you know, an ever-stretching timeline. Um, so, like, you could do an Invincible live-action movie that's just, like, the first, you know – uh, two arcs or whatever, right? Um, of like him as a teenager and like, you know, living in the shadow of the world's greatest superhero and like him kind of coming to terms with who he is and becoming a hero. Um, but if that's all we ever got, like that's such a, that's such a fraction of the story and it's not the best parts of the story, right? Whereas like with the animated series, I know that we're already committed to eight hours of it. That's a lot of opportunity to get. You could get pretty far into the story with eight hours of high quality animation, you know. Sure. Um, and you got to imagine that it'll be easier to get a few seasons of that going 
um, than it is to like commit to a you know multi billion dollar investment in a series of of you know high budget action movies, especially now, right when theaters are like you know their future is uncertain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's let's actually get into the uh, the clip here. Um, if you are watching on YouTube, you will actually be able to see us watching it and watch it alongside us. Um, it's pretty cool, I have to say. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, can you guys see my screen here? Yes. All right. Let's hope the sound's working. <laughs> It is not. It's not? Okay. Well, uh, we can make up the dialogue. At least. <laughs> Hi, my son, Invincible. Won't catch the baseball. <laughs> Dad, I won't catch the baseball, okay? You know I'm not good at sports. So this is actually uh, the scene I was talking about um, in terms of this. This is a, you know an iconic moment from the, the first arc of the book. Um, but it's, it's quite a bit different here. And uh, it, it has, you know... You actually see this happen more than once, but, like, the way that this is kind of played out um, is actually taking elements from a few different other conversations and, like, beats in the book. Like, the whole um, you're you're invincible and all that, right, like, is kind of a play on this other moment in the book that happens, like, with his principal where he, like, sits him down and is like, oh, like, you know, you're not invincible, like, kids your age, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it's kind of like an inverse of that. So it's kind of cool to see, like, certain moments being echoed in different ways um, and, like, getting those same beats kind of delivered to you in slightly different ways. Um, gives me an, an idea of the ways in which it might zig and zag. Yeah, I really like this conversation. I thought it was um, a, a very good first look because i think it's it's a summation of what the show or what the series kind of seems like it's about in a lot of ways is coming of age story but also he's a superhero it ties together what it's like to be a teenager with what it's like to be a young superhero um and then you know something that's unique to invincible at least in terms of like origin stories for primary characters is that he is, in a way, a legacy hero. Not that the moniker Invincible is, exists elsewhere, but his dad is a hero. Right. And so that is very different. I mean, you don't really... Like, yeah, you, like, for example, Damian Wayne, right? Um, his dad is Batman, but Batman's the primary character. Yeah. Um, so th th this is actually pretty cool for that reason. I'm really glad that that element of it appeals to you. Um because that's definitely, especially in the earlier parts of the book, uh, definitely one of the key themes, you know? Um, I mean, I'm like, I'm excited. I'm so excited that you guys are going to be able to get exposed to this in some way. And, like, the fact that you're getting interested in that angle of it, Sean, like, I really, really want you to pick up the book. Um, I actually happen to know something about their relationship that I probably shouldn't. No, oh, yeah. I don't want you to know that. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that makes it even cooler and it makes it even more something that I honestly want to see play out cinematically because I do believe that uh, it's a, it's a powerful, it can be a very powerful story. Yeah. So, what if, what if um, he did hit the airplane there? 
That would oh, be well, bad. then the show just ends. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Oh, I mean, actually, I guess the real answer is that his dad would swoop in and fix it because he's, you know, a G like that. Like, right. there's uh, there's this moment in – um, it's, it's the first time that they go out together as superheroes, basically. And, uh, <laughs> like, they're having a conversation, and his dad – it's on, it's one page, and, like, in between, like, almost every, like, in, like line of dialogue, he's, like, zipping off uh, frame to go, like, do – he's like, ah, oh, sorry, there was, like, a dam collapsing over there. Like, you know, just, like, bolting off and coming back after solving these major problems. <laughs> so you're saying Invincible can't solve his own problems. He needs daddy's help with that silver spoon. Okay, Pete, in now the, we see what kind of characters you're into. In the very, very beginning of the story, yeah, sure, maybe. No, it sounds like that's uh, your type of superhero. Whatever, man. Phil, you know, right, whatever. <laughs> we all know We all know what you're about, okay? You so, showed you showed your colors earlier in this episode. I didn't because I was in black and white. Ha <laughs> ha. So uh, we'll get the first three episodes on March 26th. If you're excited for that, definitely let us know. We'll absolutely be doing content around this series when it releases. So um, you best you know, believe us for that. We're doing a review crew for every goddamn episode. We're figuring it out. I'm, I'm in, man. I, I'm absolutely in. Let's do uh, it. I, and I would watch it. I would watch it independent of that because it looks compelling. And I've always been interested in Invincible, but I just never had my um, my way into it being so long. But yeah. for it to be a television show, I mean, I can just pop it in. Yeah, man. I, uh, I am, I'm so excited for for you guys to get exposed to it. The like. The 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 thing that bums me out the most that we about this project is that we are four years into working together and I've got none of you to read Invincible. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Murphy read the whole thing, <laughs> but not did you he? guys. He did, <laughs> and he oh, loved wow. it. Um, now I owe him reading Savage Dragon, so I gotta I gotta <laughs> jump into that now. I don't <laughs> know about that trade off. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so <laughs> speaking of trade-offs, we now know that the DC Universe app will trade the television shows that were developed exclusively for the platform for an all-comics platform. It's and, about time. Sorry? I said it's about time. Yep. And the ability to host uh, not just strict DC books – but Vertigo, Black Label, and Milestone books. Nice. So that's pretty interesting. Um, they're going to have some new titles available at launch. And when I say new, I mean new to the, new to the platform. Uh, and some of the books that they're touting are Batman Arkham Asylum by Grant Morrison and Dave McKean. Uh, Batman Earth 1, Volume 1 by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Green Lantern Earth One by Karina Becco and Gabriel Hardman. I'm dying to read that. It looks beautiful. Yeah, and and by the way, Gabriel Hardman is he doesn't really like comics that much in terms of like <laughs> mainstream stuff, but boy is he great. And Karina Becco is no slouch herself. But Dave McKean was like that too. Oh, there you go. That's funny. Um, they're gonna have Ex Machina on there by Brian K. Vaughn and Tony Harris. Legit. Uh, v for Vendetta. Will be up there. Batman, damned. Sans the bat dick. Um, you know, <laughs> just a, a, a ton of new products for that platform. 
And then they're also touting the fact that they will have um, digital first titles three months after launch and six months uh, new releases will be out six months after launch. So Sean, can I just, can I just call out? There's one really important book that you forgot to mention. Sure. The book that saved the comics industry. Ah, Daphne Byrne guys. Of course, of course, very important. Uh, Laura Marks, Kelly Jones, Daphne Byrne. <laughs> you, what would it be without Daphne? What would it be without Daphne Byrne, dude? Come on. Can we rewrite history and say that we saved the comic book industry, not Daphne Byrne? Next time, next time we'll, we'll it'll next be next crisis. Yeah, next crisis. <laughs> so the other the other cool thing I mentioned the milestone media books uh, a lot of Dwayne McDuffie so Static by McDuffie and John Paul Leon Hardware by McDuffie and Dennis Cohen. Static Shock, Rebirth of the Cool by McDuffie and John Paul Leon. Um, and then uh, the two volumes of Icon uh, by McDuffie and M.D. Bright. Uh, and Criss Cross and John Paul Leon and Jeff Moore. <laughs> so if Milestone is something that you're not, you have, it's a, you know, it's a gap for you. Uh, this is a great way to get in on this. Now, We've talked a lot about the DC Universe app in the past. Marco, of course, has been a staunch defender of the product and has been committed to keeping it. Um, now it's shifting away from the television stuff, so there won't be any more of that. Is there still is this still a high value property? Was it was ever? It, yep. That was my question. Was it ever a high value property? My I I think it's a more valuable product now. I really do. Um, I, I think that the idea of having a like DC quote unquote DC app that has some of their movie and film library or movie and television library, some of their comics library and some original content never made sense to me. Um, especially now that they have HBO max, it makes even less sense. Right, because the original content that was on this platform, I feel like even the stuff that was good was languishing um, because there's not a big enough install base for it. Um, whereas on HBO Max, it has a way bigger opportunity to thrive because a there's a bigger install base there, and b I think there's a bigger potential for the install base there because that's going to be the evolution of HBO as a streaming service, as well as the fact that it has Warner's you know, huge library and they're working on all this exclusive content and, you know, and, and all that stuff. So like that stuff makes so much more sense there and stuff like Batman, the animated series and some of this other stuff that's been living on the DC app, uh, being on HBO max makes HBO max a more attractive, uh, pr uh, product. Right. So like to me, it's a no brainer that they want to segment this stuff better because, why split it up that way? Like, I don't think that there's a big enough uh, market of, like, quote-unquote just DC fans that need this, especially because it was incomplete. If it was, like, all of the stuff, it was if it was every DC cartoon, every DC movie, and every comic they've published ever, then that would be a different conversation. But it wasn't that, right? So now, for all of the media stuff to go in the media bucket with the other TV and movie shit... While you double down on comics on this platform and try to make this like a legitimate, you know, digital destination for DC fans who maybe don't care about reading the books when they're brand, brand new, but want to keep up, 
I feel like that's a I feel like that's a way better value proposition, and it's easier to market because when you ask somebody, well, what's the DC Universe app? Oh, it's DC Comics. It's it's you stream DC Comics. It's like Marvel Unlimited. Oh, I think that's one way to look at it. Uh, my my thing is that I feel like the DC Universe app, as it existed prior to the Infinite upgrade, if you will, um, what was cool about it was that people who wanted more DC content in terms of like watching Batman, the animated series or something like that could go to there to, to this uh, platform and see the show or see the movie that they want to watch. And then here are also the comics. And so yeah, I wonder how many potential comic book fans um, were created by this app. If there were people who said, Hey, wow, that's cool. I didn't realize that Harley Quinn was a character on the show first and this was her actually her first appearance in the comic right here and then maybe they followed that thread i don't know the data i'm sure dc has looked at a lot of that and they're making those determinations however what i also know is that this move is not it's it's this is what they're doing to placate the app because of hbo max kind of bullying everything over at, at dc yeah and I don't know if this this is a move that's fine, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who are comic book fans that are cool with this. But I don't think this helps bring in new audiences, whereas I think the original app did that. I I think that you're probably right about that, but I also wonder like how small is that Venn diagram, right, of people who are willing to pay for a DC only app but like don't read comics and need that inroad, you know, like. I wonder how many people that actually is because like I, but then I look at something like Harley Quinn, that the animated show that like is apparently amazing um, and people love and it has such a small audience despite it having critical acclaim. Whereas on the HBO Max app, I'm sure it's going to blow up. Um, and like Swamp Thing was a show that came out and got canceled because nobody watched it. And now they're trying to have it find new life on CW and everything. So like that's not why Swamp Thing was canceled. I thought it was because it didn't it didn't get enough viewership. Swamp Thing was canceled because it was expensive. Okay. And there was there was some other there was some other thing. I can't even I can't remember, but it was there was another um, something else happened, but okay. I can't remember what it was. Then rescinded on that one, right? But um either way, I, I think I think that you're you're right that there's a value there to be able to try to like cross pollinate people that have that interest. Um, because I think like having something like Batman, the animated series is something that, you know, is going to draw certain people in. Um, but, but I, I think, I think having the content broken up will allow them to like, we'll let both of them reach a broader, better market in the long term. I think. Hmm. Yeah, I hope I hope for that to be the case. Um, I would love for this to be a successful thing because we need more comics fans. So it's kind of pricey though. Eight dollars a month. Like I know like the Shonen Jump uh like reading app that Marco talks about is like two dollars a month. Yeah, it's like insanely cheap. Um yeah, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where like it's weird because I feel like eight dollars isn't that much money. Like, because if you read, if you bought two comics, that's eight dollars, 
right? So if you read two comics on the service a month, it pays for itself. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you just canceled a bunch of your streaming services. Just like these things add up. Yeah, right. And that's the thing is, you know, as as there are more streaming services, you need to be more choosy as a consumer. Um, but I also canceled a bunch of streaming services because I'm trying to get married and buy a house, right? I'm trying to save money and be extra frugal. Whereas, like, you know, what I was actually spending on all of them was a lot less than what our, you know, our parents' generation has spent on cable for the last 30, 40 years. Um, so, like, I, I, it would be great if it was cheaper. If it was five bucks, I think it would that would be a lot more compelling. Um, but I don't think eight is unreasonable. Mm. As long I as think- they're updating the library a lot, you know? Part of the problem with the price is that um, if if the most valuable thing about this is your ability to read new comics, right? well, you're always going to be three to six months behind. Right. And that's something that these apps can't overcome. Um, and so because of that, it's like, well, what else are you offering me? And they're offering me a lot of older titles that I can read. If I'm a seasoned DC comics reader, I don't need this. I own all this. Me, shit. me now I have sizable gaps in my DC uh, experience, but the things that they're touting here, I've read a large majority of, and I'm not willing to pay $8 a month or the equivalent of 70, 75, $76 a year uh, to re to fill in my gaps, mm-hmm. I'm just not I'm not gonna do that. Um, so I wonder how many people have a similar feeling about you know dropping this kind of money when H- D- D- HBO's getting me two ways. They already got me on the HBO Max. I don't want to get me on the on yeah. eight dollars to read some comics. Come on. So well, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I hope it does well. I think, I think that is the problem is that like none of these services offer stuff day and date and like they need to, they should like, it, it's the only, they can't, I know, I know. And I don't, I don't disagree with you. Um, but I think, I think that's why digital, uh, is less popular is because it's the same cost if you buy them issue by issue and none of these streaming services provide a, a, a immediate enough delivery for it to be worth it for somebody who's like a regular reader who wants this, right? And I think to me, like the answer would be like, maybe you charge a premium, right? To get it earlier, to get it day and date. Um, so it's more money, but it's not exactly the same, you know? Like, so it's not such a thing that like it undercuts that whole market. Um, because you're right, they, they, it's not the same, right? Like comics are also the only medium delivered primarily by small businesses. You know, like it's a whole other thing. Um, but I, but I think to consumers, they don't want it to be because they don't see it as different, right? They see it as I want my fucking comic books, right? And if I want to read digital, I want to read it when it comes out, and or I want the option anyway. Um, but I also think that same person doesn't want to spend $4 on a digital issue maybe because that's a lot for something you're going to read in like, you know, what, an hour maybe if you really take your time. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I get it. I get the that there's that dichotomy, but I feel like three months is too much. If it was two weeks, if it was a month, I feel like that would even be so much better. It would be so much easier to swallow. And that's the three months is for digital first books. So – that that one I 
it's a little tougher to understand because there's no th- those digital first books are DC's thing. And yeah. they come to shops when they come to shops. Sometimes they don't even hit shops until they're in trade. And so I'm not as clear on why they're insisting that those books hit the app late so late. Um that's that that you could easily just throw the throw on the app within a month. Um, and yeah, maybe you'll lose some some dollars, but I just want I again I wonder what the cross pollination is between people who have this app who are current ongoing readers of DC Comics and people who have this app that are new or just want it because they want to read old stuff. And, and that's I, the key. I and I think you you hit the nail on the head there, Sean, right? That like them not doing that speaks to the fact that like they don't believe in this as much as I do, right? Like they don't because, and again, you know, I don't, I don't want to like keep making comparisons to other industries because it's different. But like, look at like Xbox Game Pass, right? Like Microsoft puts all of their first party stuff on there for free now, right? So if you buy into that, you get the next Halo for free because you pay for the subscription service. That's how they got to treat this. And if it was just the digital first stuff, that would be something. It would be like, hey, like. The hot new static book is a thing you can read here first, day one for free. Like, that is a value prop. That is something where you're like, you're putting your money where your mouth is. Like, that makes me want to do it. And if I was going to buy that and one of these other books anyway, it pays for itself for that month, right? And maybe you have something else next month that I'm interested in. Or, like most people, I said it and I fucking forget it because it's $8. You're right. Now's the time to do that because everyone's chomping at the bit to pick up Future State Comics. <laughs> I mean, shit, it'd be easier to swallow at least to get them digitally. They're pricey, man. You know, <laughs> you're paying ten bucks for two of those books. You'd save two dollars. Oh, I, I paid eight dollars for one of those books. Twice. That's what I'm saying this would be a value, then. You know, yeah, that's, there you go. That and that's how you sell people on it. And, and <laughs> the, honestly, the thing with the streaming services, I honestly think you need to be willing to eat shit for a little bit. Like you need to be be willing to like give more than you're um, getting payment wise, and then once you have a base and they're in, then you jack up the price a little bit. You jack up DC, the price a little bit. DC's ears just perked up. He, he were like, "You gotta make him eat shit for eat shit for a little bit," and they're just like, "What? Oh, we can do that. We love eating shit. <laughs> we, do, we love making people eat shit." Yeah, DC loves to make the fans eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not themselves. So, uh. Let's let's jump over because this what we're about to talk about. You want to talk about value. There is a, a rumor going around that seems to be very credible that Batman the Animated Series is coming back for HBO Max. I over the moon. Over the moon about that idea. Not super into it. Now, first I'm going to tell you guys why we are talking about this at all so there's a, of course the podcast uh fat man beyond by kevin smith and mark B- bernardin and um bernardin basically says uh that he heard this rumor about the show returning and then kevin smith joked that he didn't know anything about it. he says i don't know what you're talking about then he said i'm not involved but i have heard this and i have heard this from very reliable people 
Oh, yeah. I heard it. I freaked out. And I heard this, I would say, a month before you said it. I think that's real. I don't think that's a rumor. I wouldn't say set your watch to it, but it's an idea whose time is not only coming. I think it came and it's smoking a cigarette. I think that's going to happen. And so there we go, right? I feel pretty confident that Kevin Smith has the type of connections that would allow him to know something like this to be true. I don't think that that's like highly debatable. Uh, I mean, he has a relationship course. with Mark Hamill, well, right? Mark, Who's in the cast. <laughs> Mark, Mark Bernardin's an actual reporter. I've listened to their podcast together and before he's like the one that usually gets the information. Cause he like writes for like the Hollywood reporter and stuff. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And so there you go. Right. Like that's even more you, solid than, you know, um, I love this idea. I agree. I think it's cool. I love the fact Kevin Smith points out that, you know, this is something that you can do and you don't even have to explain how because it's animated. You can just literally pick up from wherever the show left off and and just go with it. They've got the Batman uh, Adventures Continue comic book that's been coming out, digital first and then in print. And people were very excited by that. And that's been cool. Um and obviously, you know, all of the people who loved that show, a lot of us that watched watch it as kids are now in our late 20s and, you know, somewhere in our 30s. And we now are clamoring for the nostalgia and we've got money. Well, some of us have a little money, hopefully to spend on a streaming service that's providing us with something like that. So I think it's a, a very smart, wise idea on the part of the HBO Max brass to bring this show back. Um but imagine what a boon it would have been for the DC Universe app to be able to say, hey, we have the return of Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. And you can read the continuation in comics. It's true. Yeah, but Warner Brothers and Time Warner as a company is like, oh, HBO Max is the actual thing that we're sinking money into. Yeah. They're at war, by the way, but that's yeah. another subject. Which makes sense, right? Like they're they're trying to make this thing a thing. And they're struggling, so like this is a big deal. Um, so I, I'm I'm excited by this news, right? I, I'm I'm with Sean. I, I think this is cool. Um, I understand Phil's trepidation. I think like when it he didn't comes, explain why. Well, <laughs> he said he didn't like it though. Um, so I mean, go ahead if you want to contextualize that. Well, okay. So Batman the animated series was very much lightning in a bottle at the time, and not that not that. Um, they followed up with a lot of amazing projects. Superman the Animated Series was excellent. Batman Beyond was excellent. Justice League and Justice League Unlimited were excellent. Excellent. Static shot. Yeah, but the fourth season of that Batman show um, was just okay. They switched from Fox to Warner Brothers, and they switched mm. the animation style to um, to the what would would become known as that Bruce Tim style. Um, my real main source of trepidation has been pretty much everything Bruce Tim has done after. Justice League Unlimited ended. A lot of those animated films have not been great. And they've just been like a little edgier. And that edginess hasn't been like good, really. So I worry that it's just one of those things that when you reboot it 20 years later, it doesn't have the same magic it once did. Because I don't think, you know, the stuff that the people behind it are making aren't even as good as the things they once did. Uh, 
I, I, I would love for a true quality spiritual successor to Batman the animated series. There's been so many cool things that happened in Batman comics the last 25 years since that show ended that they can do. Uh, at the time, the newest thing they had even incorporated was Bane as a character. Right. Uh, so like, oh, there's crazy. so much, there's so much Batman stuff that they could do now. It's just, I worry that that magic won't be there this time. So, um, to- totally get that. Like, I I generally am am increasingly aligned with that opinion of like just let things lie. Um, because I think more often than not, when we do go back to that well, it's it's rarely as satisfying. Um, and it's it's a it's overdone at this point right like fucking everything comes back at this this point to the point where it's like not even necessarily exciting anymore um but for me the the thing that that assuages those fears is that um you know this this voice cast and everything right i think makes such a big part of that equation and i look at the arkham asylum series like arkham asylum and arkham city um when I was playing those games for the first time, I felt like it was in that universe. And, like, mm. it wasn't, but it didn't matter, right? Really? Like, what, what sold it for me was that it was it was Mark Hamill's Joker and it was Kevin Conroy's Batman. And um, Harleen um, – I forget her last Arlene, name. Um... It's Arlene. Yeah. Uh, something, but – the char- the actress who was the original voice of Harley Quinn and the basis of the character, um, Arlene Sorkin. Thank you. Uh, I think she was only in the first. She was one. in the first one. The second one, it was Tara um, Strong. Yeah, Tara yeah. Strong took over because she retired from voice acting because she's old. Um, she was like a lifelong smoker, and she like lost her voice, kind of. Yeah. Um, so she. That's the truth. <laughs> but my my point is right that like those actors. Um, playing those characters set a mood for me in that game. And, like, I don't think, you know, I don't know that it's going to be the entire returning team of the original uh, show. I don't know that it needs to. Like, if it's a show that gets that style right and has that voice cast and tells good Batman stories, it'll be good. Will they get – Sean, do you know if they would – I guess we wouldn't know. Kevin Conroy and and, – Mark Hamill have both indicated that they've like retired from those roles. Right. Okay. And so that's that's um, one of the wrinkles that I think is interesting. So Mark Hamill, right, has retired from the role of the Joker more than once, I feel. Yeah, maybe. Um, well, he said he would... So famously, he said that the last Batman game, uh, Arkham Knight was going to be his last game, but he said the one thing he would do if they asked him to would be uh, a killing joke movie. And then they did that afterwards. Did that. Yeah. And then right. so he did that. And so like, you know, basically he was like, I'm done after Arkham Knight unless I do Killing Joke. And then they did Killing Joke. And he's like, okay, now I'm done. I personally believe that Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill would return for a project like this. And I frankly, I don't even think that HBO Max would do the project. I don't huh. think we would be hearing about this if it wasn't happening. If they weren't coming back, I mean, hmm. I agree. It's um, not. It's not anything without them. 
Gotcha. I also found a tweet from 2011 where he said, goodbye, Joker. I've enjoyed – hello, goodbye, Joker. I've enjoyed every minute behind the <laughs> wheel of the clown. Crown Prince's crazy car. I'm going to miss him more than I can say. He played the character at least twice after that, right? So, like, I, I'm totally with Sean. I, I think people say shit like that all the time, and then when the right project comes along, they dust it off. Fuck, Kevin Conroy still does Batman's voice on Cameo. Like, he's not that out of the game, you know? Like, they have a connection to those characters that I think if they were going to bring back – the project and call it, you know, the new Batman, you know, like they're going to fucking come back or they won't do it. I totally agree. It's not that show without them. Well, the main person they need to get back more than anyone else, I believe is Paul Dini. He was basically like the real, like he started that bottle, those four seasons on, on that show. I mean, he's doing the book. Many of the best episodes were written by Paul Dini. Um, I mean, he created Harley Quinn, for Pete's sake, and not, I mean not you, Pete, but you know, it's not true. for your sake. It is. He did it for me. <laughs> wow. wow, I really appreciated it. You know. So I mean, more so than even Bruce Tim, I think he's the guy you'd have to get back here. But I mean, let's say he's working on the comic. Clearly, he still has affection for it. Why wouldn't he come back? And yeah, maybe he would. I never said he wouldn't. It's just like that's the guy you got to get. Yeah. I think I, again, you know, I, I strongly feel that there's no world where they're willing to do this if they can't get the big three. I think you can replace a lot of people in a, in a production like this. I don't think that any of those three are replaceable. Um, well, I mean, I Bruce Tim certainly is. Yeah, you do have to get him too. Like that's, it's a big four. He could just executive produce though. Like, you know, and uh, I don't know. Like, you you could have that core four people be involved and have everyone else be new blood, and I think it, it would be fine. Yeah, my, my point is, is simply just that there are elements to this that have to be present, and if they're not, it's not, it's, it's not anything. And that's where I stand. And I believe that they will have those elements present, or they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't but, use the name. Of course, all of that remains to be seen. We'll see what they end up doing. Um, obviously they're committed to bringing quality to HBO Max and so far what they've what they've done has been has been cool so uh, I'm looking forward to this if it materializes but I think we'll we'll probably end up hearing more about this within the next six months if, so. if they felt comfortable enough to talk about this it's probably a lot farther along than we think it is uh, it's probably it, more real than we think it is. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. If they actually do, it'd be really cool if we did like a a uh, if we watched all of the Bruce Tim shows again. Dude, I've been pushing that for years. I'm so in for that. That would be a fucking awesome undertaking. I would start, love to do that. Start from the la- first episode of Batman animated series to the last episode of JLU. Yeah, it's a lot of shows. It is. That's got to be like uh... there's three. There's three Batman shows at least. Superman, Static Shock, uh, Justice League, JLU. Well, there was there was three seasons of the original Batman show. The one season of their age of their WB show that's four seasons. Three seasons of Superman that's uh, seven. Uh, three seasons of Batman Beyond that's ten. I think it's three seasons of Static Shock that's thirteen. Two seasons of Justice League, and then two seasons of JLU. <laughs> <laughs> we let's do it. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a bridge too far for Sean. 
Something I also don't know if I'm in for is the return of Heroes Reborn. Uh, I was in the 50s at the beginning of the episode. Time to go to the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> like, Marvel, come up with a new title. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Heroes old Reborn, old again. <laughs> for those of you who are unaware or too young or just, you know, too smart to read it, um, <laughs> It is the twenty-fifth anniversary of the Heroes Reborn event at oh, Marvel, which took place following the Onslaught event, where essentially most of the Avengers uh, were 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 you know killed off, sacrificed in their battle, and the Fantastic Four in their battle with Onslaught. Um, but they weren't really dead, of course. They were sent to a pocket dimension to live by Franklin Richards. Sure. And so Marvel Editorial famously felt so um, little faith in their creators that they offshored the work of the Heroes Reborn stories to Image. And so each of the image departments were actually given a slate of these books to tell. Of course, Robert Rob Liefeld, we all remember the infamous Captain America cover. Yeah. Um, he was given uh, Captain America and I believe the Avengers um, uh, was removed from the project not too long after he was given it. But um, it sold very well, actually. It sold super well. And, but they couldn't continue it because Jim Lee didn't want to draw for it. So the original plan was to reboot the Avengers and and the Fantastic Four and continue to have them written by the image creators, written and drawn, but Jim Lee didn't want to draw for it. So the whole thing was kaput. They brought them back into mainline continuity with some changes, like they updated Ben Grimm's origin, updated um, the Fantastic Four's origin in general a little bit, and... Here we are. It's the 25th anniversary of this event, and Marvel is teasing a return. Uh, according to Bleeding Cool, this is not a reboot or a relaunch, which leads me to believe that this is kind of a red herring. Uh, but Marvel has released a series of images that showcase what looks more like the Infinity Warps storyline uh for those of you who don't recall that that was actually something fairly recent i believe it was from the secret wars era where they just kind of smashed actually it was a, it was more recent than even that they smashed two characters together and um basically created an amalgamation of the two mm -hmm. and so some of the images that we have before us is a combination of juggernaut and dr doom for example um another one that is maybe scarlet witch and quicksilver that's what it looks like anyways. I thought it was originally Jean Grey and Scarlet Witch. <clears throat> uh, um, that could make sense. No, no, no. I think it's uh I think it's Jean Grey and Enchantress. That could also make sense. That is what the bleeding cool it says Scarlet uh -huh. Witch and her brother Quicksilver, or is it Enchantress and Jean Grey? It's I the think head crown that makes me think Enchantress. Well, and the green is like, you know, that's obvious. I mean that's both of them, but mm -hmm. 
Well, what throws me for this particular image is the stance. Uh, she looks like she's in motion. Yeah. And none of the other characters but Quicksilver would really move like that, especially the elbows. So it's, she's got the Scarlet Witch fingers, right? But, but like, then it looks the like she's Quicksilver, running. right? So I feel like that that's what we're looking at, but Probably. we won't know until we know. <laughs> it looks um, like Omega Beams she's casting from her hands. It really does, yeah. <laughs> It's like Scarlet Witch, like uh, she ate Pietro in utero, like, and this is the alternate universe. <laughs> she has Holy both of their powers. Shit. Dark, <laughs> dark, dark, dark. Uh, <laughs> then we also have Ben Grimm and Reed Richards as Shield agents, um, which is not that's that's not um, you know an amalgamation of two characters. That's like a re. Uh, like a different origin right yeah <laughs> they um, went to a different career path it's yeah. like the the same thing where there, it looks like there's peter parker as a journalist and he's like taking pictures of some other superhero and he's not spider-man seemingly i i feel like characters going through shield is, is a what if that's been done before several times yeah i mean yeah of course yeah um, right like whatever 100 percent. and then um you know, I, I, I'm 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 interested in these. There's a whole other slate of them that we got too. The oh. Hulk as like a I, I don't even really get this one. It looks um, like a planet Hulk type thing. thing. Yeah, it looks like like kinda like he's like a like one of those action heroes who's like stuck on a strange planet and has to fight monsters and yeah. stuff. This it looks like a kale book. The uh it, the bleeding cool thing it says the Hulk social media account tweeted out a more adventures Doc Savage slash John Carter version of the Hulk. Okay, sure. Yeah. That's like, uh, yeah, exactly what you were talking about, right? Like, totally. And then the last one, or yeah, yeah, the last one of, of the, the slate that we have so far is Thanos, but wearing the Mandarin rings. And that's also super cool. The Mandarin's yeah. rings are like really under represented and underutilized so seeing thanos with those on instead of the gauntlet is pretty cool um do the mandarin's like a, rings usually have those colors or is that just to make it look like the infinity gauntlet uh i think that there's there well there's 10 rings and they all have different i believe they're all different colors interesting okay yeah um He's only still seems still seems like yeah. kind of a power down from the infinity gauntlet well i mean let's sure it's um, cool though phil <laughs> now I, I personally think the Heroes Reborn tag attached to this is a little bit of a red herring. I, this is my thought. I think what's happening is this is actually going to tie into the final news story that we have, which is that Marvel is bringing back What If. And I think that the Heroes Reborn tag of it Interesting. is actually just what ifs in, in general just what if peter parker was just a regular you know dude and he was you know not spider-man um what if the hulk was a was a man of action what if dr doom uh got the the gem of sidorak you know all these different ideas and concepts that they're going to do in this what if book that may or may not be called heroes reborn would he um would he then say something like cuz I'm Dr. Doom bitch? <sighs> yes, My... I'm Doom bitch. <laughs> Do not bitch. <laughs> oh, it's a Doombot bitch. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. 
Yeah. Um, so what do you guys think about that? Do you, do you think that's what it is? Do you have alternative ideas? Uh, that's interesting to me. Um, the, the timing of those two things does seem pretty serendipitous. So, like, I would – I wouldn't be surprised if, if it was like one was a launch pad for the other, maybe. Um, I guess it could also just be like two things that are similar but unrelated being timed, right? Because like you pointed out, it is the anniversary coming up of Heroes Reborn, but also oh. um, What If is kind of having a renaissance anyway. Like there's the, the Disney Plus show that's on the way very soon. So it makes sense that Marvel would kind of want to revitalize that brand uh, in the books as well, um, so it, it, I think it could go either way. But I think I think there's a, definitely a good chance you're onto something with that theory. Yeah, I mean that's all I I can really surmise until we learn more until Marvel spills the beans. Um, but you know, I'm not interested in a Heroes Reborn revival, uh, like in a traditional <laughs> sense. It wouldn't even make sense because of the fact that they're just not there yet. Like there's no, there's no event leading to something like that. Right. I also just don't think Marvel um, wants that. I don't think that there's a reason to do that. So uh, again, I feel like this is probably just them playing with us a little bit and they're using the name, but it'll be something completely different. I like that. We're just celebrating important anniversaries. That's good. I I will say um, I'm very excited uh, by the, the what if, uh, return and the project like the way that they're talking about it seems really interesting well then let's talk about it yeah. so uh chip zdarsky and pasquale ferry are essentially reviving what if um but not just calling it what if they're actually calling it spider-man spider's shadow and it's going to be essentially asking and answering the question what if Spider-Man became Venom. So Chip Zdarsky said the following on Twitter. This is something we've been working on for a while. A chance to reinvent the What If brand. Telling longer stories with the best artists. We think you'll like it. And this is the pitch. Peter Parker once put on an alien suit that nearly destroyed his life. But what if he'd never taken it off? Ignoring every warning, Spidey embraces the dark symbiote. Haunted by terrible nightmares and exhausted by an endless barrage of bad guys, Peter can't seem to catch a break these days. So when the Hobgoblin attacks, he finds a hero at the end of his rope and vulnerable to new dark impulses. Spider-Man is about to change his rules, but is it truly Peter who is in charge? Now, I love this. And I'm going to tell you why this is the superior approach Ah. to huh, to offshoot or what if or alternate universe stories, okay? We're in a time right now where DC is saying, hey, continuity doesn't matter. We've got an omniverse, right? And Marvel is retaliating by saying, hey, continuity matters, but here's... A, a story that slots very nicely into the continuity you know, but it goes in a different direction. And you don't have to think about it too much because it doesn't change anything right. that you already know about. And here are two creators you really care about. Here's a character you really create, care about. And a concept that is 
something that every Spider-Man fan at some point or another has probably thought about. So you want this and you want to read it. I personally will 1000% read this uh, concept alone. Then you look at the artwork. Looks great. Beautiful. Uh, and, and the other thing I think is really cool about it is that it's not one issue. It's a, it's a, it's a mini it's four. Um, that's really cool. Like, I don't think that's ever been done with what if like it's, it's almost always just one single. Else. Yeah. And like, sometimes they're longer. So it's maybe like more like two issues, but like, not like this. And, like, that's really cool. I love that idea. Um, I think that's a great way to uh, to evolve the brand a little bit and be like, hey, like, we want to tell these stories that are outside of continuity that, you know, um, kind of answer these fun questions. But, like, you give them a little bit more room to breathe, you know? And, like, when it looks this good and it's got a team that's this cool on it, like, hell yeah, I'll read this book. I think that the OG what-if concept, the idea of, like, basically one shots that just answer ask and answer like a a silly funny question mm-hmm. um is it made a lot of sense for the time that it that it existed in sure chip zadarsky clearly has an affection for that time period because he also brought back marvel team up mm-hmm. for a while uh post uh secret wars and two and so, one right was that him uh, too? two and one is what i well oh, okay. yeah two and one yeah. yeah uh marvel team up two and one whatever um <laughs> same shit <laughs> so i actually i feel like it was kind of like a combo of those two things because it was um grim uh, ben grim or human torch teaming up with a different hero mm-hmm. in every book and then i think there was also like another story in it but in any event um this is an evolution of the what if brand and a clear answer to what the the kind of like earth one not not Earth One, like Black Label to a degree. Black Label kind of exists in like a loose continuity space where it may or may not be happening. It could take place right after something you know, but maybe it doesn't. And I love the idea of it being super loose and free without having to be bogged down by questions we don't need. Yeah. They're like you just don't even have to answer, right? Yeah. Because um, you just pick up in a place that we all know, right? Or like Peter's wearing the black suit. And then something different happens than what you know. And, like, I, I trust Chip to give me what I need to be able to walk along with it, right? And, like, he's done this before, right? Like, he did Spider-Man Life Story, and that was, like, an out-of-continuity out thing. And, like, I like that a lot. Um, so I'm I'm sure that's a, that this will slap, too, honestly. It's no future state, though. We all know that. Yeah, you're Come right. On. It's not. Thank Let's God. Let's be honest. We all know it's no future state. Come on. Who needs four issues when you can do two? (laughs) Me. I need four. (laughs) So to tie this in really quickly to the last news story we just did about Heroes Reborn, if my theory is accurate and Heroes Reborn is essentially a revival of, of what if going alongside this, you know, spider shadow does the does the heroes reborn version of what if follow the old path maybe it is a a one shot type of thing that happens monthly where each month it's a different Mm. story or are we going to see minis based on all these concepts huh i don't know i'm kind of cool with either 
Like, if every one of these gets a miniseries and they're all good, like, yeah, fuck yeah. Like, that that's something I've wanted for years from Marvel, is them to just, like, have an avenue for stories that are outside of continuity and that can, like, go places that stuff that, that has to, you know, be tied to other things just can't, right? Um, because I love that shit. I always have thought that's, that's a fun thing when you get to have that freedom. Um, but I also think that, like, not every story necessarily warrants that. Like, I think that there are some concepts that are way easier to sell in a one issue. Like, like uh, the, the one that comes to mind for me is a few years ago, um, They it was one of the times that they had brought back What If in the 2000s where they did the, uh, like, What If Deadpool got the Venom symbiote, and that was, like, a really hot issue. Like, that's a story you can tell in one issue, right? Like, he yeah. gets the symbiote, he becomes too powerful, he kills everybody, he takes over the world. Got it. Like, I don't need four issues of that. Whereas, like, Peter slowly becoming Venom and, like, you know, cutting himself off from everybody in his life and becoming, like, you can see how that could play out over a longer period of time and be engaging. So I almost hope that um, that they're not locked in either. And that if, an, if a creative team has a story that warrants four or six or 12 issues, that they can do that. But if it is just, like, a fun one-off thing, we can do that too. Um... Only if they have, like, unproven authors and creative teams doing it. I think that's the only way that would really work. Uh... <laughs> it's a bad oh. DC joke. All right. I was like, wait, why? Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 think I, I think I agree, Pete. I don't – I don't. again, you know, I'm, and I'm just going to restate this for the last time. I don't think that people care – as much as DC thinks they do, I think DC cares a lot. DC fans care a ton about continuity, but I think that what forces them in the position to, you know, pretzel their body to think about these things is the way that DC approaches it. I don't think you have to make everything so complicated. If Mar and, and again, Marvel does this all the time. They just don't make big press announcements about it. You know, um, where did Gwenpool come from? You know, uh, X-Men 92 was a book for the longest. You know, there's so many things that they do that are in that vein that no one really like talks about or flips out about because it just is, yeah. you know, it just, it just exists. And I think if this is something that's just going to exist and maybe they're, they're branding it, however they're branding it, but there are no real like rules to it. Who cares? This is a story. That's, that's it. better. Yeah, and it's not it's not affecting continuity. It's not in it or out of it. It's just separate from it, and you don't have to think about it. And there's that, that's all. I will say too, I like it, it presents fun opportunities because Marvel is in this place. I think now where they they very much like I think from Secret Wars on, they very much were just like fuck it. Like we don't care. Like it, if a character's cool and people like them, and there's like. They have weight and, and merit. We're going to fucking figure out a way to roll them in eventually. And, like, you said, like, where the fuck does Gwenpool come from? Another alternate universe, right? Where the fuck does uh, Spider-Gwen come from? Or, right, like, they all come from other universes. You don't need to know the number. There is a number. We can tell you it if you want to know. Who cares? They're, you like them? Cool. They're here now. They can play with, the, with everybody else, right? right. Like, Ultimate was amazing until it burnt out. And then they're like, all right, let's salvage it for parts and start over you know and like they could do that with this like if they're if this version of evil venom peter becomes really really hype and cool like whatever right like they could make that an ongoing thing 
and when it stops being good, they'll stop it. Like, I like the idea of them having that freedom to just, like, let the story be the story. And, sure. like, let it end where it ends. Yeah, totally. That's that's kind of tricky to do with just four issues. Like, for something like Catch... Like, I, I have a hard time picturing any of these turning into something that's, like, so hype that, oh, we gotta find a way to incorporate this into the main continuity. But... You know, I, I I definitely feel in my heart of hearts. Let stories be stories. Yeah, and and if if nothing gets that far over that they just have to put it in continuity, then whatever. Yeah, it does, and that's the and that's the key. It doesn't matter. It doesn't need it's to be just that. stories. You know, it's just stories, and uh, hopefully DC can remember that. <laughs> I just I just can't help myself. I just can't. Um, well, it's just so funny when this happens too, right? Like, how often do does does and it's been the other way too, where Marvel's done something like this, and then it's DC, right? Where one of them steps on a rake, and then the other one's like, "Here you go. Here's here's what you really wanted," you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, frankly, Sean, I think you should put the shovel away because you're burying DC too much. Hey, I just show up to talk about what they do. Sean's just given the eulogy. He didn't dig the hole. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So speaking of burials, uh, a person on Twitter who goes by Thorn underscore identity buried themselves this week by putting out a very controversial tweet about mutants and minorities. And people were mad. We're going to talk about that in our main topic. We're going to discuss the question, is the mutants as minorities metaphor problematic? So, I mean, it's really that simple, right? Um, I'm going to read the tweet. And we're going to react. (laughs) Here's why mutants don't work as an analog for any real world marginalized group. It's not only not unreasonable to fear mutants, it could be described as both pragmatic and a legitimate survival adaptation. They are actually dangerous. They do actually hurt people. Wanda was right. That's the tweet. (laughs) That's it. That's the tweet. Now, I'm going to add a little bit more context because like i said this dude has been raked over the coals uh he has been called everything under the sun for his opinion including racist um dumb not getting it etc etc now let's go all the way back to when mutants were created by stan lee um and the x-men and what their intent was it's pretty clear that they are you know an, an analog for minority groups and i think initially it was it was also for for gay gay people um and think about that team the only thing that's not present on that team is a person who is not white or, or straight, right? Like they're all white and straight. None of them even look weird. 
I mean, Iceman is an Iceman, but Beast. he looks super he's, cool. Beast had the weird hands and stuff. He's a big guy, but he was a jock. You know, he's a genius jock. Um, Angel had wings, but he's rich. He's a and he's super handsome. Like and, exactly, and like he being didn't a, have, having wings isn't that weird, right? Like if you're super hot and rich, like people will get over it. <laughs> yeah, they they also. I I'm pretty sure he was a, he 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 was able to hide them. So, um, not that big of a deal. Uh, so just off rip, there are problems. And I think Stan Lee's intent was good in that he was trying to say, you know, if these characters were just black or if they were, you know, whatever, people might not be as inclined to read them. So let me tell them this really important story and message in a package that will be more palatable to them. Yeah, that was an early 60s environment. Where I mean, you know, the civil rights movement really hadn't ca- caught as much steam yet. It was ha- right. it was happening. You know, there were uh, Brown v. Board was in the mid fifties, and, and the Montgomery bus uh, protests that, I mean, that was in the early sixties. But it really became a you know focal point in the mid late sixties. Yeah. I think um, I think my like whole issue with this this line of thinking is like I don't I don't think that like um Jeff is is necessarily wrong you know like I think what you're saying there Sean right is that like yeah like there there are things about it that are messy right um but but I think like why does it need to be a perfect metaphor you know what I mean like I <laughs> th- I guess that's kind of my whole point is that like at the end of the day like <clears throat> there are there are things that are like quote unquote problematic or things that like necessarily don't add up um, or are not a one for one analog when it comes to superheroes, right? Like a lot of superheroes, if you look at things too hard, they don't pass the smell test. There's a certain amount of like suspended disbelief. Um, So I feel like, sure, like the point about, you know, um, mutants actually being a threat is, is, valid no um, absolutely not i mean and this is and this is why because i am going to cut you off here go ahead that's the part that really rubs me the wrong way because that's been coded language that's been used to describe groups of people for literally centuries you know going to africa uh you had european writers describing them as savages and dangerous like this has been coded language to describe uh perceived not even just marginalized people because you know at the beginning of colonialism uh that wasn't that hadn't quite taken root yet but uh you know people that were perceived as lesser thans right Mm. and so describing mutants as dangerous you know the counter argument was not all mutants are dangerous obviously obviously they have superpowers but not all mutants have superpowers that can blow up cities you know Mm -hmm. some mutants like all they can do is add scales to their arm or something you know what i mean right so so very idea that it's like oh people have every right to fear mutants because they're dangerous is the same thing people would say about minority groups that they don't like well you know and point made historically um that's what i was driving to so i I agree with you what i was going to say was that yes you can literally apply that to the mutants that are you know omega level that can level a city that can destroy the planet whatever whatever but like that's that's kind of the point right is that like you're not supposed to 
Um, like, all mutants shouldn't be persecuted because there are mutants that are dangerous. Um, so it's like, yeah, is it a messy metaphor? Sure. Um, but I don't think that means that it's uh, without merit or without um, – that, that it can't be used to make that comparison or, or explore that. <clears throat> um, that subject matter in a way that isn't meaningful just because there are things about it that are clumsy. It's like, it's like, Oh, should we feel, should, should we fear all people of Middle Eastern descent because there's Al Qaeda or ISIS? Should we fear all white people because of people like the Unabomber or, or the OKC bomber or, or what have you? Like there are dangerous people. There are dangerous mutants. Uh, but to extrapolate it to an entire group of people has always been the problem with any kind of race theory. So I think that a lot of people took his tweet and most likely unintentionally misunderstood what he was saying. And I wish he had worded it a little better, but I feel like I got the point. Hmm. He's saying that because mutants can be inherently dangerous in the sense that like there's nothing inherently dangerous well there's nothing inherently dangerous about any group of person other than the fact that every human can be dangerous to you any living right. person can be dangerous to you <clears throat> but there's nothing more dangerous about any group than any other group in terms of their racial identity or sex or anything like that. Whereas with mutants, there is an, an inherent possible danger when you encounter a mutant whose powers you're not familiar with, whose intentions you're not familiar with. Right. In real life, if you go to a bar, for example, and you have a disagreement with a guy, uh, you know, obviously you wouldn't do that during COVID. But maybe <laughs> maybe you would just have a few choice words for each other and then you would go about your business. Maybe there might be a fight. Um, if that person's a mutant, they could <laughs> actually just wish you away. Or light you on you, fire. And, and, yeah, right? <laughs> and I mean... so you might be more fearful in that situation because of that fact. I think that's true of meaning people too obviously people don't have these uh, powers like a mutant would but you know in this country you say the wrong thing to the wrong person they can pull out a gun and blow you away you say you get an argument with a person in a bar they can pull out a knife they can break a beer bottle and they, they can stab you to death you don't know the same way with a mutant you don't know what a mutant's powers are you don't know what type of person you're interacting with you don't know how short their fuse is and you don't know how like unstable they are that's true but the other element is that mutant powers historically are not always under control. Sure. And so there are plenty of examples in comics history of mutants whose powers went wacky by mistake and people died. So that's not possible in real life. Like you can't act, you really can't accidentally commit mass murder. It's not, I mean, that, that'd be, you know, that's, you can't do that. But a mutant could. <laughs> yeah. And there's no rational reason to fear in real life any group of people for what they could do because what they could do would always be intentional. 
Um, whereas a, for a mutant, it it might not be. In comics, things like the 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 Brotherhood of Evil Mutants exist, right? <laughs> and what would be the what would be the comparison? It would be like comparing it to terrorist groups, right? Sure. The difference is there is no one size fits all look or identity for mutants. They could look like anything. Whereas we associate Middle Eastern terrorism with Muslim people. So if you were to say, yeah, I just don't trust Muslim people because of Osama bin Laden, well, you're nuts. But when it comes to mutants, if you said, well, you know, I just don't trust mutants because of Magneto or because of the Brotherhood, well, you're, you might be nuts, but maybe you're not because maybe there's characters like Charles Xavier who can have a massive bad headache and all of a sudden kill tons of people like in Logan, the movie. Um, or Hope, when she was first born uh, in, in Marvel Comics, the, the hospital exploded and tons of people died. Um, there's plenty of examples of different situations that can come up through mutant powers unintentionally. Sure, but the resolution that uh, the tweet author has is that Wanda's right. No more mutants, and they suggest genocide. Okay, well, yeah. So that's the part. <laughs> that's that's not cool. the part of the tweet that I, you know, completely disagree with. Um, because he uses that specific particular image of no more mutants, that that undercuts why she said that. It doesn't even start to talk about why she said that. Um, she has a father who is a mutant terrorist, you know, and mutant being a part of mutant life has brought her a lot of pain. And so, yeah, that's how she feels. Um, but I don't think that that, I don't think that that was a wise decision on his part, but he says, um, it's not only not unreasonable to fear mutants, it could be described as both pragmatic and a legitimate survival adaptation. That's That cannot be applied to any human group. He's trying to separate mutants from humans right. because minorities are not inherently dangerous. There's nothing inherently dangerous about minorities. There's nothing special about them. There's nothing different about them. There's nothing absolutely nothing different between any group of people whereas mutants are absolutely inherently categorically different from humans that's what he's saying yeah so it's, it's muddy because of that fact yeah and like that's true but i guess my question is so what like so that means it can't it, it can't be applied that way because like because i don't agree right because there's plenty of examples of of it being used um in that way to, to explore those themes and, and explore them well, you know? And, like, again, is it always neat? Is it always, you know, without um, things that are clumsy? No. Um, but that's comics, baby. I think when – I, so when I read this, I immediately thought about um, uh, Matthew Rosenberg's 
X-Men. I believe it was him that was writing at the time. Where um, Wolfsbane, I believe it was Wolfsbane, she was walking in the street and she was attacked by these men who um, hated her because she was a mutant and she had transformed into her wolf form and they beat her to death. And a lot of people took that as a commentary on trans people hmm. because Wolfsbane transitioned from a human to, you know, a wolf and these people attacked her as a result of that. Sure. There's a point in my mind where you get boxed in by people's obsession with this metaphor and it ceases to allow you to tell stories because was Matthew Rosenberg trying to say that trans people deserve to die because they're trans? Obviously not. That's ridiculous. There's no way Marvel would even allow that to be published if that's what he thought, right? But clearly, even be, even though he was not trying to say that at all, people couldn't handle it because they took it as a metaphor for trans. Well, I mean, that's just that's just media, you know, like people interpret what they see or read beyond intent of the creators that made it because of real life things that inform their interpretation of it. And, you know, it's in real life, you know, uh, black trans women are murdered at a disproportionate rate from like other oppressed minority groups. And so, when you see that in the news a lot, like seeing something like that will inform uh, inform your your reading of it. Now, the thing that I disconnect from that that example is, well, like even if that was his intent, why can't that be a commentary of a real world crime? Why does it have to be like glorifying it? I I wouldn't interpret that as glorifying it because someone got beaten to death, right? And it's also like, who got beaten to death? An, an X-Man, a character that we are supposed to identify with, right? And and this is, like, who we're behind, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely – I think that's that speaks to a larger problem of the way that people, like, don't – they want to – I don't know. Like, I think a lot of people just read things very surface level, right, and don't necessarily think about um, what the work is trying to say versus, like – picking apart necessarily the way in which it says it, right? Because it's like, I think, I think like Sean said, like being bogged down in that metaphor, right? Like if, if that is or isn't what um, what Matthew Rosenberg meant in that moment is kind of up for debate. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, should that matter? Yeah. You know, like my question is like, if that's what you get out of it, fine. You know, like... Uh, I, I think that, like, I don't know. I, I look at lots of examples of how comics and other um, media have engaged in topics like this. And and not always in a way that is, like, um, clean. Not, like, always in a way that is without, like, things that you could, like, call them out on or raise an eyebrow at or whatever, right? But, like, that it was still um, a way for me as a, a young reader or, or viewer to, like, engage with those topics and think about them, you know, in, and like, I, I think, um, I don't know. I, I guess like 
I guess that there's there's something to be said for, like you know, Sean, you brought up like what was the intent, right? Um, and was the execution perfect? No, but I think the intent was good, and I think that that intent has carried through and is is part of the spirit of the X-Men, right? Is that is what the X-Men are about. It's a story about about oppression. Um and I think I don't know, I, I, I guess I guess I think that like I I'm not someone to like throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know? Um are the X-Men a perfect metaphor? No. Um but are they one that have worked for a lot of readers over the years? Yeah. Um, and if anybody is able to see themselves in an X-Men or read the X-Men and, um, you know, connect the dots between, uh, their strife and the real world strife of, of someone who isn't like the reader, um, that's positive, I think. Um, and it's like this level of scrutiny is like, that's what we do, right? We've done over 200 episodes of these things over analyzing comic books, but like, Sometimes I think that that level of scrutiny is just, like, not meant to be applied um, because it's not perfect. But it doesn't need to be. Sure. So I definitely grant that the metaphor has been helpful for people and things like that. But it's not even a metaphor, right? Like, the mutants are a marginalized group in Marvel Comics, right? That can exist. What he's saying and what I might agree with is that that's not always going to be applicable to real life because in the – for example, Rain is not trans. She is a wolf and she's a mutant. So if you're reading that and you go, oh, my God, that's an allegory for a trans person. Because the X-Men are about marginalized groups in real life. And if she can, if that's how her powers work, then this must be about trans people. That's too far. I mean, that's why I don't think that you can look at the mutants that directly as like a one in terms of exactly. They're they are a marginalized group in their own world. They don't exist in the real world, and you can't. Look, you can't say how would it be if mutants really existed, and you can't say um, that mutants represent all minorities in comics because they don't, and it yeah. doesn't work if you think like that. Yeah, but the original X Men book, you made the point that none of them are black, right? But everyone extrapolates it to be an, uh, an example of the civil rights movement, right? Even though none of these characters are black, that's not a one for one. But people made that extrapolation because that's what they interpreted at the time, because that's what the culture of the 1960s informed their reading. And it's the same thing now, where, you know, like I mentioned, a, a significant issue is that black trans women are being murdered at a higher rate than other groups of people. So when they, yeah, I know. So it's not a one for one thing, but it's an easy thing to surmise. It's an easy thing to extrapolate. Um, I I don't, I don't, because obviously mutants don't exist. That's just how allegories work. When you say that are boxed in to, to the world that they live in, uh, like the entire line of comics are, are boxed in to have to be about allegories, but there's no way around it. That's the thing that X-Men are best known for. 
you can't escape it when you're writing x-men that's just it's just what it is at this point okay right so what i'm saying is that first of all we know the the what the x-men were supposed to represent because we've been told and because it's obvious and that's that's all fine what i'm what and, and and i'm saying this as someone who really has never like been that comfortable with it hmm. um magneto and professor xavier don't represent malcolm x and martin luther king right that's what people think sure that's what people say sure and when you think about them like that when you think about magneto as malcolm x <laughs> right you're doing damage because you're hurting Magneto's, Malcolm X. Yeah, exactly. Magneto is a, a terrorist, right. right? And Malcolm X was not. Um, and they have different problems. And they have different ways of finding solutions to those problems. And so what I'm saying is that when you apply that metaphor so literally that you're looking at characters and seeing real world scenarios in them, you're doing the metaphor a disservice because the mutants are not real. So I don't care how many times you say that black trans women are dying at a higher rate. You're right. But guess what? Rain's not that. She's not trans. So when you look at that situation and you criticize Matthew Rosenberg and you drag him through the mud for something that he chose to do that was supposed to represent mutant oppression and you say, oh, well, you can't do this because it represents human oppression, transhuman oppression, that's wrong. Because that's not what he was talking about. You can't say that because it's not the same thing. Now, if a character was murdered because she was trans and that's literally why she died, that's a different conversation. And yeah. I still think he has the right to do that. And I yeah. think that should be a conversation comics are allowed to broach. But that's not what happened. And that's my problem. Yeah, I guess... Um... I guess it, it does – it creates this kind of like cycle of, of bringing baggage to the material um, that doesn't necessarily always like apply too, right? Because in, – in that ex- using that example anyway, right? Because we've been working off that. Um, you're bringing things to the story that aren't meant to be there and like that's not inherently bad. Um, but it's when people take their reading of a story as the reading of a story – Mm-hmm. Um, where it becomes uh, problematic, right? Um, because you know that, and as any uh, English major or anyone who's engaged with any of that kind of academia can attest, as long as you can back up an argument, any reading of something is valid. Um, it it's just a matter of like, you know, because that th- that comes into the whole death of the author thing, right? Like, does the author's intent matter, or does what you take right. away from it matter? And like, this is like a whole discussion about how you read a, a work, right? Um, but as soon as you decide that your reading is the reading is the only way to interpret something, um, you can, you know, you can turn anything into an argument like this. Um, yeah, that just becomes circular and meaningless, and it does. It becomes not about the work. I, the thing that I really. I, 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 I really disagree with Sean is yeah. like if if you wrote a book about like a black 
trans woman getting killed, that's no longer an allegory. That's no longer a metaphor. You're writing a story about a real world problem. Yes. You know, so you you can take umbrage with people's interpretations of, of something being a metaphor or being an allegory. And that's certainly what people did uh, with that Wolfsbane ex- example. That's, you know, that was their interpretation. They interpreted it as an allegory. They interpreted it as a metaphor, even if that was never what Matthew Rosenberg did. But inherently, metaphors and allegories are things that aren't literal events. It's just an author telling a story that can be interpreted as, oh, this is an allegory for something that's really happening. So just because it's not a one for one thing, I, I don't think I don't think it's a problem that people are reading into these things as being a metaphor for real world atrocities that are happening to marginalized people. Uh, I think Pete's whole thing is right though when he says that an interpretation cannot be the only interpretation. I agree with that. And I also think that the critical examination of stories is valuable. And I think in an academic setting, it is um, perfectly appropriate. I think when you take your emotions and you're wrapping them up in these stories that are not about you, that's where the problem comes in. And that's why I think it's better for people to, because look, when you go on Twitter and you read about, you know, those scenarios or you read about what people think about the X-Men currently and how they're fascist now and things like that, like, please, you know, like, no, that's not what's going on and you're overreaching. And look, that's why they have to be able to stand on their own as their own oppressed group, not represent, because there are black mutants. Sure. There are trans mutants. There are all there are gay mutants. There are all kinds of mutants. The mutant umbrella is not representative of any one thing. It's a marginalized group, yeah. separate. And so, right. I just I just personally feel like they're going to go through what they're going to go through. And if every single time a mutant has something happen to them that's bad, you apply that to yourself or your group. You're gonna we're gonna have these murky situations that do come up. And so to take it back to the original tweet, Hmm. um, like I said, there are elements of it that, you know, the Wanda was right comment. That's a little, that's a little tough. That's tough to, to jive with. That's a bridge too far for me. (laughs) Yeah. Especially, especially, you know, in just a tweet, he didn't, he didn't take the time to elaborate, um, to, to, to elaborate on that point. Um, But, I, I personally think that when you say one-to-one marginalized group of mutants, marginalized group of anything else on that actually exists in Earth, it gets dicey because of the inherent differences between mutants in Marvel and humans in real life. I just I think that when you read beyond what's just present in the book, and you take it as a story about you or your life or your group, as opposed to a story about mutants that might have elements that could apply. You're doing a disservice to the story. You're doing a disservice to the metaphor. And I personally think you're doing a disservice to yourself. Um, 
Matthew Rosenberg wasn't trying to hurt anybody with that story. Could a person be hurt? Sure. People can be hurt by anything. But you have to be able to see the reality from the metaphor. And the reality with mutants is separate from what we're dealing with. Yeah, the core question of this entire topic is 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 it problematic that X-Men are seen or written as, you know, allegories for oppressed people? And I think at the time of its original publication where most comics were being written by kids, I think having the X-Men be a, a very simple allegory for what was happening in America to, to Black people was a very palpable way to get kids to understand a thing that's happening around the country, right? That, that, that's a simple, simple allegory, uh, if, if that was the intent even. Um, the problem is, is, as those kids grew up and continue to read comics and their kids read comics and they grew up and read comics, uh, and our understanding of oppressed people has changed and evolved over time. You know, and there's just been so many different kinds of struggles in, in the United States with, with different marginalized groups of people. To apply a broad brush over all of that is kind of inherently very murky. Uh, to be like, ah, oh, yes, the X-Men represented the struggles of the civil rights in the 60s, and then they represented the struggles of the LGBTQ plus community in the 80s and beyond. And, uh, you know, wh- whichever whichever situation you want to apply, they're not the same types of struggles. That does a disservice to marginalized people who are all going through different kinds of struggles. Um, and to expect a superhero team to be able to competently adapt and (laughs) provide commentary on each of these struggles is kind of, it's naive. That's yeah, that's exactly. That's, that's what I'm trying to lay down. Um, People took civil war as a commentary on, you know, gun violence Right. Um, and I think that, sure, you could have that conversation, um, but there's no one capable of, you know, blowing themselves, literally blowing up their body, killing a ton of people, reforming and going and doing it again, you know? And it's a um, one, it's a one, one way stop for people that do that. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, very interesting and obviously polarizing conversation. And I think that there are definitely ways to come down on either side of the aisle um, as it relates to this topic. And that's why I'm so curious as to what you guys listening think. You know, do you think that the mutant for marginalized people allegory is appropriate? Or do you think that it is problematic? Do you think that there are elements of it that um, can be taken too far by by audiences? Um you know, please do join the conversation. Write into us at the comicspals at gmail.com. You can hit us up to talk about anything we talked about on this week's episode or any other episode, frankly. Um, reach out to us on social media at the comics pals. You can get us on YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you very much. Make sure that you guys leave that like, share, subscribe, all that jazz. If you are not a regular YouTube viewer, just head on over if you've got a YouTube account. And just quickly hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell as well. So you become aware of when we drop new content, all of those things are free to do and they help us out a ton. Join our discord server, always having a great time over there. Um, And of course, 
our book clubs. We've got Civil War dropping tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Monday, and tons of backlog of great book clubs that we've done that um, you know we think you'll enjoy. And last but certainly not least, if you're watching WandaVision, watch it with us because we watched WandaVision and we've got a review for you guys up right now for the first three episodes. So check those out. Um, it's been a great time. We've had a great time talking about it. So with all that out of the way, let's get into the plugs. Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come chat with me about what you are, what are you up to? Uh, in 2021 so far what have you been watching what are you reading what are you playing uh what should i be checking out because uh i'm looking for new stuff um so hit me up and uh, if you want to get some more content from me you can go check out uh my gaming podcast uh mostly about nintendo the podcast over on loopots.com uh wherever you get your podcast it's there uh, and then you can also go check out uh, my band long friend time friend we've got uh, a new single called fall again up uh, we've got another oh, one coming beautiful uh, song Phil's favorite one on the record, so take that to the bank. Um, he's a fucking snob, so if he likes it, it's probably pretty good. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we've got another one coming uh, this week, so stay tuned for that. Awesome. Phil. Man, our YouTube comment section for this one's going to be real messy. I just have a feeling. <laughs> Bring it on. And the Discord's going to be popping, I bet. So that'll be cool. Uh, you can uh, follow Kale on twitter and instagram at toto and toe you can follow marco there uh, on those same platforms at mr marco Enimoto. uh as for me you can follow me at cyborg bebop and uh i just started one piece a couple weeks ago uh so i work in the news obviously it's been really crazy for us so it's been a kind of a nice way to decompress after work before passing out it's just real light-hearted stuff uh, about 22 chapters in i think real brisk stuff uh, if you want to talk to me about that, that that was pretty popping on the Discord. Uh, and uh, yeah, give me a give me give me a, hit me up about that. Awesome. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about what you're enjoying. Similar to Pete, I'm always looking for new things to, you know, give a shot to. Um, I just started playing. I just started playing the game Jedi Fallen Order, and um, oh. Yeah, Great game. Really, uh, really don't like it. Fuck. Um, <laughs> so I need something new to play. So with that, we're the P- Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. That's Marcus. <laughs>